You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al-Sayed, and this week's show is with Sister Huda Gharib. On this weekly talk show, we usually invite experts to take us through their journeys as professionals in their fields. Um, if you have any questions for our panelists, please feel free to ask them questions in the comment section, and we'll get to them during the show. So on today's show, we welcome Huda Gharib. Huda is a fourth-year PhD student in social justice education at the University of Toronto. She conducts research that asks the question, what motivates people to engage in social justice behavior and activism? Which is a very interesting conversation that we're going to have with Huda soon. Aside from her interests in health and social justice behavior, Huda is especially curious about how the media shapes our emotions, beliefs, and behaviors, and is passionate about giving children and adults the skill and skills and abilities to critically judge the advertisements and movies they view and the news that they read. In our time and day, this is something that is extremely important. So we're very happy to um, welcome Sister Huda. Assalamu alaikum. How are you, Huda? Good, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation that we're going to have with you today, inshallah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So before we um, get started, can you tell us a little bit on uh, about like what what made you interested in this kind of research? Because it's something that, you know, everyone, I think, mindlessly takes in. And it's not something that we're hyper aware of. Yeah, it's it goes back, I think, to the second year of um, second or third year of my master's where I was doing a different type of research. But I was like really interested in like the effect of Ashura and what Ashura, mm -hmm. why it was such a powerful thing that impacted so many different movements um, and so many, you know, it influences people in a lot of different ways to do good. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to understand what this was all about. Um and I, as an emotion researcher, of course, like my mind was like, it really caught on to the fact that emotions is a huge part of, um, of Ashura. You know, we listen to um, like a really moving story um, and it has a lot of lessons, but there's an emotional part to it. And I really didn't know how to study this. Um, so I kind of just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And then um, one day I was watching, um, the Late Show, I think it was, um, with Jon Stewart, or The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And I remember he was talking about, uh, like, Black Lives Matter and what was going on in the U.S. Um, with police uh, brutality and police shootings of um, Black individuals. Um, and, you know, he would, he would talk about a, a really tragic thing, a really tragic incident, and then he would, like, make a joke about it. You know, that's how those kinds of shows uh, do. They kind of take politics, and then they kind of make this ironic uh, joke about it and use ironic humor. So I started thinking, you know, what's the effect of this type of like emotional flow that's kind of happening um, on this show where you go from something like a really like hard, difficult emotion to process, just sadness or anger, and then you make a joke about it. Like, what effect mm -hmm. does that have on us um, in terms of, you know, our desire to do something about this issue that he's trying to, that he's talking about? Um, and so that kind of led me into reading about the effects of emotions on um, why we engage in activism um, and why we might engage in, you know, ju justice, social justice behavior. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of, from then on, I got really interested in it and I knew I wanted to do a PhD. And I was like, you know what, why not take my chances and, and do a PhD about that? So that's how I got into it. 
and we're going to get into um, later on the show just how to um, you know choose what what you want to specify in in your PhD, um, how to find the proper mentors and professors, um, and all of that because it's a very like intimidating process, I think. Um, so just to make it a little easier for people, um, but first let's get into what did you first study in your undergrad? Um, in my undergrad, I did a health studies and psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of really wanted to mix the two. Um, I was really interested in, in being a dietitian. And um, I think that it, that kind of a profession involves both, um, you know, understanding the psychology of an individual as well as, you know, the, the sciences behind nutrition and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I put those two together um, and I, I studied that in my undergrad. And what led you um, within your master's? You did, uh, I think, the uh, advertising for health, right? Uh, yeah. more about that. <laughs> yeah. So um, in my master's, I was looking at, I did research to kind of comp- to compare um, which type of sort of advertisement or mm-hmm. like social advertisement is more effective at getting people to engage in more physical activity and mm-hmm. stand up more. You know, mm-hmm. sitting is a huge uh, like issue, health issue right now. And um, we're sitting so much. And so I wanted to understand how we can motivate people to engage in um, to stand up more. And um, I, being really interested in, in emotions, I wanted to compare the difference between an emotional advertisement, one that kind of targeted our emotions, um, versus one that um, talked more about the health uh, implications of sitting too much and the health benefits of standing up more. Um, and yeah, I had a really big interest in both the psychology, but also the marketing aspect of health. Huda, what are your passions um, and inspirations? Like, what are the things that make you, um, you know, really, I don't know, I I find it so interesting that you specified these kinds of things. So what do you do in your daily life? Um, Well, I think what what really interests me, always captured my attention was like, why people do things? Like, Mm -hmm. what are the motivations behind why people act in certain ways? Um, And I... I mean, ever since I was a kid, like, for example, my sister would be like, why are you staring at people? You know, I used to stare at people a lot. But I think as I grew older, I started to realize that, like, I was looking at people because I was interested in their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of came, I guess, as I grew older, it kind of manifested into the work that I do. Um, but I, I think the media is also really interesting to me because... Um, like it's all around us and it shapes our behaviors and our emotions and our beliefs like really strongly. And so um, I just get really interested in, in the, the, the sort of interaction between the media and, and human behavior. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I know that you do a little bit of really cool art um, and it's, it's really interesting. Like I love the, the, your Instagram account. Um, if we'll just pull that up quickly can you tell us your instagram and then people can check it out sure it's hoda underscore g so it's h-o-d-a underscore g-e-e yeah um and can you tell me about how you got into that art before we get into the conversation on um your uh specific specific field in your phd Sure. Um, so I love art as a way to like take a break mm-hmm. um, from the PhD. And so um, about I think a, almost two years ago now, um, I started doing like mandalas. Um, I thought that they were a really nice way to sort of relax and do something that was creative. Um, and so I, and it was like 
there was just a lot of meaning in it, I think. And then, um, so I'd kind of use that as a, as a form of a break from my work. And then um, I think the, or like really early around lockdown time when Corona first started happening, um, I started my Instagram actually. And then I saw that there was a lot of like Islamic art um, tutorials and um, just a lot of beautiful work out there. And um, I kind of, that kind of led me from moving from Mandela's to Islamic art. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, really loved it because um, of the spiritual and cosmological aspect um, that actually underlies all Islamic art. Um, mm -hmm. so that, that was a really big driver for me. That's awesome. Um, and we're gonna pull up quickly just a, um, I'm gonna share a screen of your art. Okay. Um, if I can pull that up, I have to, one second. <laughs> So here's one, and that gives you one kind of example of the art that you're doing, which looks yes. really, really cool. Yes, thank you, that one's very special. <laughs> um, and what I like about this concept is you took something that is, you know, a Mandela and you uh, really applied it to, you know, our your Islamic um, values, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think what most people don't know about Islamic art is that it usually starts with just like a circle. Mm -hmm. um, and from that circle, you know, you create so many different types of uh, geometric designs and like even the floral um, sort of designs that you might see in like shrines or even in mosques, all of that starts from a circle. And that circle is supposed to represent that, um, it's supposed to represent God actually in the unifying um, entity that from which all of beauty in this world um, comes from. So for me, like when I, you know, when you're drawing that circle, you, you remember that um, and you remember like the purpose of, you know, your art is to create something um, beautiful, but also to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through it. That's so beautiful. And this is another piece right here. Yes, that was for Imam Hassan's birthday, I think a few months ago. Um, so let's jump into your PhD. Um, so why are people interested in activism? Tell us more about this. Um, well, I think a lot of people are trying to find a way to do something about, you know, all of the problems that we have in the world right now, you know, whether it's poverty, whether it's um, racial issues, um, whether it's women's issues, you know, um, there's, I think a lot of people just want to find a way to be able to change something. People sort of want hope. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, there's so many different forms of activism out there. And um, I think it's, it's just so it's very important to be able to tell people, you know, that this is one way that you can do it. This is another way that, that you can do it. Um, there's so many different ways, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, what your interests are, what your strengths are. Um, and I think people just just want a way to change the situation either for them or for the community that they live in. Mm -hmm. Um, and emotions in the media, they you said that they affect and the motivation that we have to do different things. Um, so how are you collecting that research and how did you start, um, you know, the, this type of, um, you know, looking specifically at the media and how, because it's such a big, big, uh, I think there's so much data for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so how, many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like how did you specify it basically? Uh, it's a long process, but I think um, one way to specify sort of the research that you're doing is by looking at what research has already been done mm -hmm. um, and what research 
maybe missing or like what the what the field hasn't addressed yet. And um, the field that I'm in particularly, it's sort of like a subset of several fields, so a subset of psychology and sociology, and um, they actually haven't talked to each other very much. So my research sort of combines um, these two fields, but also, um, you know, I the, the field is super early, like it's, it's very new um, mm -hmm. because of its history, it just hasn't really incorporated emotions in a proper way. Um, and so one of the ways that, you know, we could start to understand, um, you know, what's happening out there in terms of emotions and activism is by talking to the activists, for example, people who are engaging in, um, in activism right now and asking them, like, what is it that has driven you to engage in, you know, this, in this social movement or be part of this organization, um, just to get sort of a survey of, of the field um, to be able to understand, you know, the, the general things so then we can sort of start to pinpoint um, more specific research. So because it's so early in the field, I find that the best way really is to get this open, have this open conversation with activists mm -hmm. uh, before we dig into the nitty gritty stuff. So going deeper into, I think, just the um, aspect of having your emotions affect what kind of activism you do. Can you give us a real life example of how this plays out? Um, and then how can we also maybe protect or make our kids more aware uh, and ourselves more aware? Yeah. Um, so uh, emotion, one emotion that's been super, like that's been, you know, the center of a lot of research so far has been anger mm -hmm. um, because it's kind of like the most obvious one. Um, you know, anger is kind of a reaction to something that's um, unjust or that you find unfair. Um, and so researchers have focused on that for a very long time. Um, and then one thing, you know, the one thing the media sort of does sometimes is generate this anger within us. You know, they may show, um, you know, for good or for good or for, for worse, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it's a positive thing. And um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's manufactured, but um, you know, it may show us, for example, a, you know, police beating down protesters, for example. Mm. Um, and that angers us because, you know, we think, well, pro well, you know, these people are just out there to, uh, to fight for their rights or to, to call for their rights. Some, and mm. then, you know, the police is acting in, in this, in this way. And so we get angry about it and we may be likely to, or we may be motivated to join. Mm -hmm. um, the protest, for example, sometimes it's called backlash. Um, sometimes that's what we call it when, you know, you see something happen in protests like that and it angers you and you want to go out um, and um, sort of be part of that movement. Um, is, sorry, is anger always a negative uh, emotion and does it always, um, you know, cause that negative effect? It's a good question. Um, that's kind of what researchers have wrestled with for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I don't think so. Because, um, you know, sometimes we tend to do tend to think of anger as like this reactionary emotion where, um, you know, we need to sort of sell it down. Mm -hmm. we need to Like, like a person's not thinking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's, it's an irrational thing. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, actually, it, it, it can play a really positive role in the sense that it moves us to, you know, when we see injustice, and we get angry about it, we're, you know, we want to go and we want to you know, engage in that activism or, you know, sign a petition because that's what we feel that we can do. Um, but definitely sometimes that anger is, is manufactured um, about a situation and it might not always be the, the best way to like get yourself um, into activism, but it's, yeah. 
you can spin it um, into a positive uh, long term, right? Exactly. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it depends on whether the situation, whether it helps and motivates you to do what's right. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's like, is this emotion leading me to do what is right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And now leading into my second question. So how do we uh, protect ourselves and our kids or how do we make ourselves more aware um, within the society, especially now with COVID? I think that's very important to raise because there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of um fear i think um yeah. coming from the media and which is rightfully done so but it's also sometimes um you know hard for people to really digest yeah i think i think we need to you know i mean we do need to hang on to some emotions but i think we need to evaluate information first before we act on those emotions um you know the the when when we do feel fear, for example, um, and, you know, in pandemics like this or in social crises, you know, emotions tend to be high. And then the media a lot of times reinforces these high emotions and these anxieties. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, you know, why am I feeling this emotion? Um, what is it? What is this emotion sort of driving me to do? What is the message that's being sent to me um, through the media? And, you know, looking at multiple sources and just kind of taking in that information um, without acting sort of sort of right away you know it's that re reflecting on whether the situation requires me to you know do a b or c because um, the, the media doesn't just you know doesn't just shape how we feel about things but it also a lot of time prescribes certain behaviors um, and so we do need to think about whether that you know the message that we're that we're being sent is actually one that's reasonable right now um, given the situation. So I think a lot of it is just about, you know, slowing down, um, analyzing those emotions, analyzing the beliefs and analyzing the message and whether it's worthy of, of following or not, I think. Yeah. Um, and so how has Islam helped you on your road to success? Uh, I think this question we spoke about a little bit in our pre-interview. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, I think it, it definitely helps me in every aspect, um, whether, you know, it's how I talk to my colleagues and um, how I treat my colleagues and even the way that I approach my research um, um, and types of questions that I ask and the type of theories that I'm willing to sort of apply to my research. But I think um, one of the things that really drives me um, to kind of related things are, um, you know, um, you know, when we, you know, in yeah. Ashura, we usually say Tima Hussein and said Zainab and all the brave souls that were there, you know, we wish we were, we were with you. And so for me, it's, it's about making sure that these aren't just words that, that I say, um, that I actually manifest them through my actions. Um, and one of these ways is to, you know, be, be as active as possible and do whatever I can within my own field to make sure that, you know, I don't call Imam, you know, call Imam Hussein and then tell him and then sort of betray him like a lot did in his time. And, you know, I think that there is like a, there is an Imam of our, there is a Hussein of our time, you know, um, and I feel like, you know, for me, it's like, I have to make the commitment to him now, um, you know, rather than later. It's not about, you know, living my life normally and carefree and not caring about um, justice or, you know, the most vulnerable in our community. It's really, it's, it's about, you know, what can I do um, in my own field so that, you know, one day I could say, you know, I, I did my best. I didn't just sit there. Because um, I feel like the real test test is now, you know, it's like it's like when you're a student, you know, there's some students, like, it's like when, you, you know, you have a test and some students study super hard 
And, um, you know, the test comes, they do really well. And there's students who may like, you know, wait, it's like, it's like waiting for the answer key. Yeah. Um, and then once that comes out, then you do the test and you get an A plus, but like who really worked hard for that A plus. And, you know, I want to be able to say that I did my best even when without the answer key. Mm-hmm. There. So that's kind of what drives me. Yeah. So preserving, well, preserving our values in Islam, how do we um, filter the media or, keep our minds aware Um, because that's a hard thing to do um, these days, especially with all of the problems that we have coming up. Um, uh, They're countless, you know? Yeah. I think number one is like at least being able to identify um, what that there is a message being shown to you, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, a lot of the, you know, whether it's news, whether it's advertisements, um, whether it's information, a lot of times it's actually embedded into things like entertainment or it's almost become like entertainment. Um, it's, you know, in marketing, we call it stealth marketing. It's mm. very stealthy. You don't even know it's it's happening to you through things like games, you know, um, and product placement. Um, so number one is definitely being able to evaluate what kind of media message you're seeing or to, to recognize that it's even there. Um, but I would like, I would say like, th- three sort of maybe overarching ways or things that you can kind of pay attention to is like the content of the message, the context, and then the psychological effects that it's having on you and the behavioral effects. So like in terms of the content, it's about asking questions of like, what is the message that's being conveyed to me and who and by who, Um, you know, how, and how is this message being conveyed? What kind of words are being used? You know, sounds, the music, the visuals, um, and then also paying attention to like, you know, who is is being represented or who's being included and who's mm-hmm. being left out of a message. Um, and then when people are included or when certain products, for example, are included, how are they represented? What That's kind what of I was just going to bring up as well is that, you know, inclusion isn't always a positive thing. It can be inclusion, but it's also um, taking stripping the person of our like of the values, you know, um, it's interesting because uh, I think uh, a couple people have gone up uh, and denounced maybe the fashion industry saying, you know, I was included, but my values weren't included. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think like the media, it, it promotes and produces and reinforces certain values, right. Mm -hmm. Um, In society and representation isn't always good representation. I think like we need to choose quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we're just counting, okay, how many Muslims were in this TV show or in this movie, but like, how are we actually being represented? Are we always being made out to be someone who's associated with violence or someone who's oppressed if we're a woman? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're there, but that's not really what we want. How many Muslim uh, hijab wearing Muslim women were shown on a TV show and then taken off the hijab in the second, third episode? Exactly. Yeah. Or like, what are they using their hijab for? Because there's that one thing that was going around where anyways, yeah. So it's, it's really about um, how we're being represented is more important than how often we're being represented. Yeah. So we're almost, we're like nearing the end of our show, but I want to get into the conversation about, um, you know, how do you decide what you want to do for your master's and your PhD? Um, I think definitely um, look first at your own interests. Like, what are you interested in doing? Ask yourself, what can I do for 
at least two to four to like the years or the rest of my life because you know it's a commitment right mm -hmm. um, especially phd and masters um is is a year to two years but it's still really important to think about um what is it that interests me um because you're going to go deeply into that subject um regardless of whether it's your masters or your phd and then you know once you figure that out it becomes easier to do the next step which is to find um you know a professor whose research aligns with whose research interests align with your own. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they, you know, your professor should be someone or your supervisor should be someone who um, can actually, can help you to, to lead you to be able to do the research um, and someone who knows the literature enough, who knows what the research says, um, because they'll help you to figure out what the gaps are and um, where to take your research um, in order to be productive um, as a person like in your own work, but also to the field. Um, so picking the right person is really important. And in some ways you can find out is like, you know, just by visiting their, um, their profiles, their, um, on the, the university website, or you can um, meet up with them. I think that's really, really important. You know, send them an email, tell them I'm interested in this, this, this. I think it aligns with, with your research in, in these ways or your interests. Um, and so I'm wondering if we can have a conversation about what your research interests are right now, what kind of research you're doing. And then if you have access to their students, also looking at um, or talking to them, perhaps asking them um, some questions, um, maybe about you know how, how often um, do you meet with your supervisor? Is it something that, that you know, are they supportive, um, you know, things like that. And then obviously picking the right university, the right program, making sure that um, it gives you what you want in terms of like, for example, funding, if that's really important to you, making sure that you can get funding, um, TA opportunities, teaching assistant opportunities, research assistant opportunities. Um, I think those are all really important, especially when you're going to a PhD to make sure that you have access to some kind of a resource to help you to develop, you know, your teaching and your research skills um, through outside of your research as well. What is the process um, of applying for a master's? Um, and I think it differs from applying for a PhD, correct? So what can you tell us both processes? Um, I mean, it's not so different, mm -hmm. but um, I think step number one is is reaching out to a professor and making sure that they have room. Um, okay. Sometimes some professors are um, like they have too many students or they have too many obligations and so they can't take an extra student on. So making sure to email them and a lot of prof uh, departments will also, um, you know, they'll want you to have at least talked to, to a professor before you um, and like kind of made some kind of an arrangement before you apply and get accepted. It's easier to get accepted into a graduate program if you have someone who's willing to take you on. Okay. Um, so definitely talking to a professor, making sure that they could take you on. Um, and then a lot of the times, actually probably every time, you have to have uh, some kind of a statement of interest. And that's where you'll talk a little bit about your background, um, about your research interests. And that's where you get to highlight sort of your, um, your, your, um, like, like how much yeah. you, sorry, how much you, um, you align with the research goals of the department, mm. right? So why are you a good fit um, for, for this department? So that's a good place to, to outline that. Um, and then usually need some references to so make sure you have um, academic references. It's really helpful to have professors or maybe PhD students who are your TAs. Um, yeah, and then for a PhD, it really helps to have, um, to be more specific about what you wanna do. So with a master's, you know, you're coming from an undergrad, you're not, you may not be exactly sure 
what you want to do. But with a PhD, I think you really stand out if you kind of have an idea of what you want to do for your research. And it doesn't have to be final. Like a lot of times people come in with an idea and then they don't actually end up doing it. They end up doing it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at least have an idea of, of what you what you want to do. Um, and then also if you can apply for scholarships before that. So like OGS, um, although that one you really usually apply for it when you're in the department, but um, like SHRC or CIHR, um, those are sort of like their federal, um, their federal grants, um, mm -hmm. I believe. So um, having that is really helpful, but it's not, it's not necessary. And this is uh, specifically for like Ontario students? Um, OGS is specifically for Ontario, but SHRC yeah. and CHR and NSERC are for um, Canadians in okay. general. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So any um, US students here, you have to reach out to someone on our platform, the Inspire platform, and then you can actually get in link with a mentor. And from there, you can go on and ask more questions um, for more resources. Um, so Huda, is it, is it easy to balance your work in your life while doing your PhD? Um, it definitely takes effort. It mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not something that comes naturally, especially in academia. Um, it's sort of like a, it's a professional space where you're expected to do so many things and so many things for free. Um, but it can get really, really overwhelming. Um, and so I have to like, it probably took me like years to be able to to convince myself that I needed to take a break, but it kind of got to that point where I just had to um, because it gets really overwhelming. So it's not easy. Even professors have a very hard time um, doing it. Um, like a dean of our department in a meeting was like, you know, everyone make sure you take a break this this holiday. You know, we all need it. Um, so people have to like remind each other to take breaks. So it's not always, um, it's, not, it's not easy to do that life-work balance, but it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> And what is your final piece of advice for our listeners today? Um, I think I would say um, there's so many things. So I'd say definitely like when you're when you're engaging with the media, be reflective. Always like look at, you know, always evaluate how you're feeling and what kind of messages um, you're seeing. I think that's that's super, super important is be reflective. Don't just be a passive uh, watcher, um, passive receiver of messages. And then um, when it comes to academics specifically, um, know yourself and read the literature. Um, once you know yourself, you know what your interests are. Once you read the literature, you have a better idea of what you're, what exactly you're interested in, what you'd like to, to research. I think that's really important. Thank you so much, Hada, for sharing your experiences, for giving us a little pathway in how to, you know, apply for a master's and PhD, and for also sharing your artwork and for teaching us how to be um, aware instead of be passive when we're um, taking in media. Thanks for so much for having me and good luck to anyone who wants to take a path in academia. And feel free to reach out to Sister Hada through our Inspire platform as well. Um, so you can also ask... Um, our speakers' questions about their career journeys on the Emoja app, you just simply click the Inspire button on the app and the home screen, uh, click the question widget, and then select talk show fields, and you can type your questions in for any of our future speakers. You were just listening to the You Mentor talk show. Make sure to tune in next week at 3 p.m. to hear from our next guests. 
sorry, not next week. Next week is a break the week after. So we will see you in the new year. This is actually the last show of the year. Emoja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.